welcome to, as they used to say back in the day, a very special episode of the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast. I'm Don DiMuccio, and it really is a special episode. Bo Diddley, one of the pioneers of rock and roll, passed away 12 years ago this month. And to celebrate his immeasurable contribution to rock, we're going to be listening to portions of an interview yours truly did with Bo Diddley back in 2006. But before we get into that, let me introduce you to today's co-host, back once again by popular demand, a fan favorite with the over 80 crowd. Hey, that's an untapped demographic right there. Mr. Podcast himself, David Fitzgerald Tate. Good morning, David. Fitzgerald, huh? It was Tiberius the last time. What will it be next time? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to spin the wheel and see what it is. Now, Dave, <laughs> I believe we're going to try something a little bit different here. When I was writing for Motif Magazine, which is still in existence, big benefactor of this show, shout out to Mike and Emily at Motif. I was lucky enough to uh, interview Bo Diddley before he was coming to a gig in Fall River, Massachusetts. So we're going to be playing some of the highlights of that. Highlights. That's all I have left. I'm lucky I even found it. Thought it was lost to history. Doesn't your secretary have him? Oh, yeah. Rosemary Woods. No, she's not around. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Dave... We also met Bo Diddley. I don't remember if you were with us, the band Black and White, my band. You were the sound man back in 1993, and we opened up for Bo in Providence, Rhode Island. Great guy. He really took time with us. He uh, met with us backstage, signed, signed guitars, and just everything you'd want from someone that you admire when you meet them. Were you there that night? I think I was in, I was in the audience. I, I don't know if we had been working... I was working with another uh, client at that time. I think I might have been, but I remember kind of being around that day. That's about the best as my memory can jive. And he was fantastic. And energy, I mean, he must have been then, what, in his 70s? And maybe late 60s? Tons of energy. Um, That great Bo Diddley sound that we all know. By the way, for the three people out there who may not be familiar with the Bo Diddley sound, listen to this. Don't listen to five, baby, diamond ring If that diamond ring don't shine He gonna take it to a private eye Now when I was a little boy At the age of five I had something in my pocket Keep a lot of folks alive Now I'm a man stuff that's like that's like candy isn't it you got you can't have one piece you just exactly. gotta have it all exactly, and you listen right. to all of it i know the little bits don't do any good i know so we have to say right off the bat bo at least on the day that i interviewed him he was not shy and i gotta say some of the opinions expressed by bo diddley do not necessarily reflect the staff at it's only rock and roll podcast that said i think he's entitled to his say especially the way the music business uh more often than not did him wrong and not just him but a whole lot of people bless him bless him yep lord bless him the first question i asked him was about his name because there is 
And unfortunately, this bit got cut off a little bit, but what does it say? Uh, Oats or something? Ellis Otha Bates. I asked him about that, and he said no. Because I don't know whether we'll put that online. Now, his real name is actually Ellis McDaniel, but I was more interested in asking him where he got the name Bo Diddley. (laughs) The kids started calling me that, and I have no idea what the hell it means. (laughs) (laughs) He's honest about that. And, and, you know, depending on, I've read a few things, depending on what you read, uh, there's a few stories. Some kids were calling him that because it was an insult. Or yeah, he, it did. Actually, it it it, uh, it was. He took it as an insult back then. He thought they were just being mean to him. Mm-hmm. And he, had, he took the name. Yep. He took the name. It really is. The little things that you find out. Of course, when we're running around, uh, we don't realize some of the stuff. So after you do your in-depth research that's when everything is laid before you well that's true and even when i interviewed him i didn't do a ton of research beyond what i already knew i really wanted it to be just kind of like a real natural environment just and i think i think it worked because he really felt comfortable and opened up about a lot of things um and even in the article back then that i wrote um i mentioned that no matter what the topic was it always comes back to royalties and him getting ripped off this was one of the first times he uh, brought it up in the conversation. I walked in there one day and told them what I had, showed them what I had, and they, they took a chance. And that was the beginning of rock and roll because I came in with something totally different from big bands, trios, quintets, and all that, and I came in with that beat that everybody is doing, and I'm not getting a, a damn quarter for it, you know. And uh, that's what I call the good old American ripoff. I mean, so many people used your style. I mean, Buddy Holly, yeah. Johnny Otis, on and on. Yeah, they, they, they eat me alive. Now, how about like today? I mean, is, is, has it been straightened out over the years in terms of uh, royalties? and? I ain't never seen a royalty check. Now, that's really, really something that you think I might be lying, but it's the truth. I got ripped off along with a whole lot of people. It was a, it was a, like an organization running around New York and around the United States about not paying people. And I think this was a part of a, a hidden organized crime, uh, uh, system. You know? And all these people that did this stuff to me and other, other artists, black and white, is their kids living off of what, what, what all the stuff that we did, you know? Right. And they're dead and gone. Or either they sold off to other companies. And I think that the law should reach in to the company that it was sold to. And, hey, where's all the records that came from the mother company? You ain't got them? Bring your checkbook. Sure, sure. Yes, I See, and, uh, but the government won't get involved in that until you get something. I think that they, the government, U.S. government, should uh, Uncle Sam should get involved when you file a claim and go after the people because anybody that stole something ain't going to pay taxes on them, you see? See, they, because there's a chance the person might catch up with them. So they ain't going to pay no taxes on it if they stole it. <laughs> and I figured that, that, that uh, they got me good, man. They got me. What I own and, and what I'm doing, I work for nights, and I'm still working, you know, Riding these old raggedy airplanes, you know, you never know when you're going to come out of the sky uh, unwillingly. I, I got to work. I can't quit. I shouldn't have to work. See, and ain't nobody come up and say, well, Modelli, we, we misplaced your records for, uh, for, for 25 years, 30 years. Uh, uh, we find that we owe you uh, so many millions of dollars with the interest and all that shit. Ain't nobody did it. Ain't no honest summonses out there, you know. And I'm one of the ones that's got to work. People I know in the business in my, that was long out there with me during the time we were all running all over everything is in the same shape I'm in because they got ripped off because we were basically interested in playing for people. We didn't know nothing about the business end of it. You sign a contract, this gave somebody uh opportunity to get you while you was gone. And we didn't know that. But we found it out, a lot of us. I could name a lot of people that I know about, at least about 15, 20, 
that ain't got a dime from nobody. It's, it's, it's rather sickening that this happens to us. But uh, this is America. Wow. There's a lot to unpack amazing. there. That was amazing. I know. And sad because it's I true. Was, Go ahead. I was blown away when I heard that. You know, they really did take a, advantage of a lot of those early rock and roll stars or rock and blues stars back then. The businessmen were shysters, I guess you could call them. Well, they were businessmen, but they were they were in it for themselves. Couple things. Um, number one, who was that young man speaking with that clear voice? Can't be me, could it? The hell? <laughs> wow! It's not like I'm I ten. Think it was. It's not like I'm was. ten. Well, you know, the hell was happening. Uh, good technology was young back then. Yeah, good infancy. clean living. That's why my voice sounds like yeah, this. Yeah, there you go. Not um, like today. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, seriously, he. Um, you, you gotta wonder. How many of those businessmen knew how big rock and roll was going to be? Uh, I don't think anyone. The artists didn't realize how big it was going to be. I don't think a lot of the, 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 the businessmen probably thought it was going to be a quick buck, just a passing fad. So they were trying to get everything they could as long as they could. Does that make sense? I don't know. I think they had an idea, but they never realized it was going to get as big as it was going to grow to. True. They were on the, they were on the beginning fringes of it and, and man it just exploded and i felt very bad when he said he has to work i know he wasn't a young man he actually passed away two years after this interview from a stroke um oh. that he had suffered beforehand uh after a gig so you know all he has is his legacy i know that's all he has you know and and the ones that he the songs and tracks that he recorded as the years went on, he re-recorded a lot of those tracks yep. on, on another label. Uh, um, a lot of artists did that because they needed to get ownership back. So if they re-recorded it on another label, well, now they own those sound recordings. See? So yeah. it was a it was a way of just trying to make a little bit more money. Um, but I did ask him about, because at the time he had a new album out, if I recall. It was kind of heavy into hip-hop, believe it or not, for Bo Diddley. Um, really? Yeah, it was... It was I think they, you know, he was trying to stay relevant. I understand that there was a, you know, definitely drum machines, and as a drummer, I kind of frown on that. But that's neither here nor there. I, in, <laughs> what's I'm the matter? Sorry. What's All the I matter? Can think of is the I, drum machine never talks back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please accept my apologies for that one. Yeah. That's a that's a running joke. Try to do a podcast with a drum machine. <laughs> but I did ask him about if today when he records, is he getting paid properly? I, no, I ain't seen nothing from nobody. The only person that I have to give them a feather in the cap, the only person that takes care of business is BMI uh, and uh, 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 MCA Records. They, MCA Records tried to clean up some of the mess that was done to some of us that's there, you know. They tried to do the right thing, you know what I'm saying? But uh, they shouldn't have had to try to do that. They had, why didn't a mother like Chess and Checker and Argo and all the labels that they got? Dude, I find myself on, on labels that I don't know how the hell they got on there. I didn't sign no contract for it, you know. They owned it, they did what the fuck they wanted to do with it. Yeah. And see, and that is wrong. And what? ain't nobody came by, ain't no lawyers that wrote me or somebody write and uh, say, well, you know, we gonna do so and so and so. They don't give a shit. And they ain't gonna give up a dime. The kids got all the money. You know what I'm saying? The, the kids got all the money. This is not right. Black or white. You know what I'm saying? And this is, uh, this is lays over from the, the, the ratio days. Look at Elvis. You know, Elvis didn't go nowhere but right there in Las Vegas. You did? And, uh, this man is richer now than he was when he was alive. We had to travel all over the goddamn world. And what did we get? Which is what we got right now. That sucks. That does suck. Yes, it does. And that had to be a hard pill to swallow. When, I mean, at the time, Bo Diddley came out in 1955, 56. And he was doing it for a long time. And here comes, you know, a, a white artist playing the same kind of music, learning a lot of the moves and a lot of the, the style style of clothing, everything else, from black musicians that he had watched. It wasn't rock and roll, it was rhythm and blues then. But And he becomes an overnight sensation, practically. In fact, I asked him to get into Elvis a little bit more when he thought of him in general. I had no problem with him. He was copying me, but I didn't have no problem with him because I wouldn't, I wouldn't cut that way. Uh, my bones and me being a man, a black man, 
I didn't care nothing about him doing what he did. I just wanted to get paid like he was getting paid. Right. You know what I'm saying? He had a lollipop. I wanted one to suck on, too. Right. You did? Yep. So I, I'm not against Elvis at all. He made some money, you know, and he got out there great. You know, I liked a lot of stuff he did. But he got paid, and I did. Yeah. There it is. He got no. paid, and I didn't. He got paid big bucks, and he didn't. That's right. Elvis got paid big bucks, like as in, um, that Ed Sullivan show. I mean, the, what they paid Bo was a fraction of what they paid Elvis because uh, he was the uh, chosen one. I want. I don't want to use mm-hmm. that word. Mm-hmm. Well, the funny thing about Ed Sullivan, phrase. you know, he's now because he broke Elvis and he broke the Beatles, he's considered Mr. Rock and Roll. Well, he shouldn't be. No. Because the fact of the matter is, Ed Sullivan had said, he vowed, in fact, that rock and roll would never be on his program. He would never do it. Until he saw Milton Berle pulling in big ratings, having Elvis on a couple shows. And yeah. the Dorsey brothers, who were the, really wow. the first ones to have Elvis on. So when it comes to money, Ed changes his mind. And I asked, <laughs> and, and this is a controversial topic. A lot of artists had problems with Ed Sullivan over the years. Because and, you know, it's not so much Ed his producer who was his son-in-law i believe you know he was a real control freak and i guess um bo was no exception he had some problems too with sullivan now, i'm gonna tell you something that i never told too many people maybe a couple see what i did the ed sullivan show this is what a lot of people don't know this is the reason why i'm i'm kind of upset about that when i started talking about it because they paid elvis when we did that show in 1955 they gave me 750 bucks a check and under the table and asked for it back. Now, they paid Elvis, I think was $5,000. I don't know if that's the figures right, but it was some thousands. And uh, uh, I said to myself, now, why did you give me $700? And they paid this dude $5,000. That's when I started realizing we had a racial problem going on here. Don't get a black dude no whole lot of money. Well, now, you mentioned Ed Sullivan. Wasn't there also a problem with the song choice? Oh, yeah. What oh, happened yeah. there? That was part of the shit, too. You know, they wanted me to play 16 tons. I wasn't there to play 16 tons. I was there to do Bo Diddley. And he got mad with me because I played two songs. But you're in a you're in a good group of people who uh, pissed off Ed Sullivan. You know, which is, but you were the first. A lot of people didn't like this dude because he was a racist dude. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that shit meant back then, man. Because I wasn't, that kind of crap wasn't in my house. A man's a man, I didn't give a damn if he was green. You know, we, I didn't, I didn't, I never thought that way about disliking a person, you know, with color of skin. No, no uh, uh, that, that, that's a man. We all, all the years, uh, a short time here and a long time gone. So why are we going to be fighting one another? That's crazy. You know, you take like these people overseas right now that's killing one another. I mean, uh, it's sick. But I think that those people that are doing all of this harm, trying to uh, exterminate the Western world, that's us, uh, is a different breed of person. Who are they? They're acting like somebody we used to call the pygmies in the jungle in Africa, in the jungles that would eat another dude. You understand? Yeah. This is the kind of people that we fight right now, man. They, 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 they don't care nothing about nothing. Who are they? Are they who we think they are? Another human being? Or is they just somebody from somewhere else and been here for years fighting and nobody's found out who the hell they are? Something is wrong with that, uh, that species of human beings as we call ourselves. There's something wrong with them. He's talking about dying and blowing up himself to kill some other people. That's crazy. So you've got some strong political views, huh? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's something wrong. It's something we fight. We fight a ghost. You ain't gonna catch him and get rid of it. No, no, no. It'll be 20, 30 years again trying to turn these people around. They don't like us, and they don't like what we do. So I would say right away, but it's, it's too late for that now. I would say, uh, do like you do roaches. You exterminate them. When you get roaches, you exterminate them. You go to the black flag, <laughs> you hook it to them, baby. <laughs> See, that, 
Oh my! <laughs> wow, wow, that's some hard views. Too. Oh yeah, that's uh, woo. See how nervous I was sounding? Like, I, yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> Try to walk away from that conversation. Yeah, we, we got to put it in context. At the time, the Iraq War was going on, uh, the second yeah. Iraq War. Yeah. So you know. Wow, and I, when he was saying pygmies, I think he meant cannibals. Is that in that? Yeah, that I, th- I think he so. just couldn't think fast enough. Right, right, right. They just eat. They eat each other. It's, not, it's not, tough. Not terribly politically correct, but hey, why should he be? No, but those words are his words. That's it. You know, that's those, it. He didn't hold back. He just let it go, and he spoke his mind. And boy, I, I give him so much credit for that. When I wrote the review, I think that's the first thing I said. I said I should just print the transcript of our conversation and leave it at that. Which I wow. pretty much did a lot of it because I just he, his opinions are so strong and he's not afraid. And he's entitled to it. Yep. He's, I mean, he's a man. You can see that he has a lot of things on his mind that go far beyond rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He carried that that discontent, you know, his whole life, and that's. But then again, he was how old when he passed away? Seventy-nine. Ready? Well, he died on June. It says he died on June second, two thousand and eight. So he was seventy-nine years old. Yeah, I mean that's yep. you know that's a long life and and growing up in a time period where he was born saw a lot. Yeah, his funeral was four hours long. You know it's it funny says. too. Early when he was talking about the kids who inherited the record companies and the government should go looking, he's talking about doing uh, a forensic audit. Well, apparently when he died, his family and the people mentioned in the will wanted them to do a uh, forensic audit of his estate, and they refused. I thought that was a little ironic. 22 beneficiaries were heirs. He was married married four times, I think. Once as a kid. (laughs) But then things were different. Yep, yep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he He was married to a white woman at the time, which was a controversial silly that was ever controversial but oh back then it was yeah back then it was real controversial so we talked about making records you imagine what he's like in the studio if anybody tried to get in his way and put their own will on his ideas i don't think that would work out very well so i asked him if he had any problems working with producers back then no i didn't have no producers i ended up with producers that i ain't never seen before okay these are guys that horned in on my music and i don't have no idea who in the heck they are? Well, ain't nobody produced me. I'm my own, own dude. I tell what I want done. I don't need some somebody to come in and try to tell me how to do my shit. No, go do it. If you're so good, go do your own crap. And they let you They let you do that even in those days? They give you free reign? Oh, they had a couple of guys run around talking about producer. I didn't even know what a producer was until later on. I found, oh, this is the guy that come in and arranged this. Ain't nobody arranged nothing with me. See? He called the shots on his own tunes. Yep. And how they were done. Yep. yep. And in those days, that was somewhat rare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody, you, every record company tries to get a, a bite into that because they want it to be some kind of commercial success or, or they just, they want the profits. So, But nothing any producer could have known from the, their past experiences could have given them any kind of insight into the kind of music Bo Dilly or Chuck Berry was doing. You just had to let them be themselves. Um, yeah. It's okay to, you know, if you have an engineer in there to, to tweak sounds, but in terms of, you don't arrange Bo Diddley. Bo Diddley arranges no. it. Bo Diddley arranges Bo Diddley. Nobody else, no way. I'm a road honey. Let me back. 
some dirt in your eyes. Here I go. Somewhere hanging around. This next bit was interesting because I think I was uh, being a little naive. Um, I had mentioned to him that my guitar player was curious about some of the stuff that Bo was doing to get that sound. And I, I can see now in hindsight, it might have been a stupid question, um, but he basically uh, put the kibosh on that. Check it out. And I've talked to a lot of guitar players who try in vain to get that sound. Yeah, so they can't do it. They can't do it. Talk to me a little bit technically about the no, kind of, I mean, is there a, won't de- tell you that. Is there a delay? Is there, what, what's going on there? No, I won't tell you. Oh, okay. You're holding those uh, trade no, secrets. No, that's, uh, that's like opening the door and holding the hell and let everybody run through again. And um, I will not give away secrets of mine. It ain't really no secret. You know, but I, I, I'm not into explaining. Only thing I'll tell you is how my guitar is tuned. And you try to figure out how to play it. How is the guitar tuned? What's the, it's an open tuning, obviously, right? In the key of E. It's in, it's tuned in the key of E, which I play in a style called Lavastapu. What's that again? Lavastapu. Don't ask me to spell it. And you use a capo? Oh yeah, that's because I'm too stupid to change keys. <laughs> no, it's quick. No, no, it's quicker. All right. And what about the custom-made guitars? I know you had some custom-made Gretches. Well, Gretches making my guitars down. I'd like for a lot of musicians to go buy one because they're bad. They're bad that that uh, Fred Gretsch is making them now. What, what were you using originally? Same thing. I've always had my own design. Was it always Gretsch? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, he had that cool square guitar. I know. I'm looking at it now. Is it cool? <laughs> yeah, it's like that is so so out of you know. Nobody ever played anything like that. No, you know. No, it's. it's but that was his own. That was his own personal uh, design. His own thing. And he does have a unique sound. There is definitely a lot going on there. Wow. Now, while I'm airing out personal mistakes, and I didn't mean it as a knock on him by any means, but I had said. Out of curiosity, the famous Bo Diddley beat, had he heard that somewhere? And I think he might have thought I meant, did he, you know, nick it from someone else? Here's how that went down. You've influenced more drummers even than guitar players. Right. So talk a little bit about the rhythmic part of your sound. No, it's just a, just a rhythm that I get. I can't explain it to you. I just do it. Is it something you heard before and you incorporated? no, no. no. See, and, and he's right. That is a unique sound. That beat has been used by so many people, my own band included. Um, but when we do it, it's an homage. When everyone else does it, they're stealing. You remember that? <laughs> it's how it works. You're not stealing anything. You're, you're just honoring well, individuals that I, come before I, you. I bet Bo didn't feel that way when he heard Johnny Otis doing Willie and the Hand Jive. He can walk and stroll in Susie Q And do that crazy hand jive too Papa told Willie you'll ruin my home You and that hand jive has got to go 
Another unique thing about Bo Diddley for his time was he had girls in the band. Female bass player, fantastic. And I asked him you know, why that came to be. They, they're all around. Well, they're not around now. Everybody's deceased except one girl. The Duchess, Lady Bo, they're all deceased? No, Lady Bo is not part of my group. Oh, what was that about? I'm sorry. And I taught her to play. Yep. And she's living in San Francisco right now. A bowl of creek. And what about the Duchess? What was the story there? The other girl, that was uh, my uh, play sister. And nobody's alive now but from my band, but Gloria Jolivet and um, Jesse James Johnson and uh, somebody else. No, Clifton just died. That was the original drummer. Did you get any slack for having female musicians back then? No. No? No, but because the girls buy records too. He worked with a lot of women in his in his time. It was quite amazing. I just I'm in awe of of just his, his whole history. I know, and his the the songwriting itself very unique. And it just it resonates right to this day. It just ripples right through history right to this day. Like when you were playing that that montage at the beginning, I just tapping my feet. And it, it just gets everything all gets your blood going. It's like wow. I mean, who wrote lyrics like? I walk 47 miles of barbed wire. I use a cobra snake for a necktie. I got a brand new house on the roadside made from rattlesnake hide. I mean, that is songwriting. I walk 47 miles of barbed wire. I use a cobra snake for a necktie. I got a brand new house on the roadside made from rattlesnake hide. I got a brand new chimney made on top, made out of a human skull. Now come on, take a little walk with me, Arlene, and tell me who do you love? 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 Tombstone hand in a graveyard mine. Just 22 and I don't mind dying. Who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? I wrote a lie on the town, use a rattlesnake whip. Take it easy, Ollie, don't give me no lip. Who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? tended to write toward an adult audience, like adult themes. You weren't, you weren't doing a teeny bopper thing where a lot of people were in the 50s. No, no, I don't know how to explain that to you. It's just the way I wrote things. Wasn't no special thing. This was just the way I thought at that, that particular time. And you wrote Love is Strange from Mickey and Sylvia. Yeah, I did. I didn't get nothing, nothing out of that. That, uh, it's, uh, uh, I don't know, a lot of people recorded the tune and I, I sold part of it, uh, but I still kept the BMI part of it, and uh, because I wouldn't get nothing out of it, and I think I sold my interest out, out of it. I did um, not being hungry, didn't have no money, and uh, I think they offered me a few bucks for uh, the, the, and then I think Jerry Butler, somebody recorded it. Uh, it might not have been Jerry, but it was a couple of people that sold over me and copies and I don't have no idea where the money went but that part of the money didn't went going to me but but it's BMI whatever was there mm. I get BMI is you get paid for what you what's over the radio you know right I kept that part and uh that, that reminds me I gotta call and find out something because 
it's under the name of Ethel Smith, which was my wife's maiden name. You know, that, but Ethel Smith was a surname of my writing. Now, Paul McCartney recorded that. A lot of people did it, and I ain't seen no checks coming from nobody. My sweet baby, love is strange. There are many, many people seem to take it for a game. Now let me hear you sing it. La, 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 love is strange. This is another thing, you understand? If you don't squawk, then if you do squawk, it takes you about five years to try to find out any damn thing. The people could die, man, and then who do you go after then? Right. You understand? See, it's a screwed up business. That word that they say, oh, there's no business like show business. They didn't lie. Whoever <laughs> wrote that sucker, he wrote a hell of a thing. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely See, right. The thieves has got, got it made, man, because they know exactly what to do, how long to do it. See, we got one thing here in America that when you go to, even with you right now, you write a, I guess, a, a newspaper or whatever, a reporter. Yeah. Okay, let me tell you what happened if you end up having to go to court and you got find out somebody did you some injustice and you wait. Uh, three years to uh, to attack it. They got something in a law book, and they'll probably find something. They say, "Oh, if three years went by, you should have saying uh, a month ago." Uh, you say, "Well, wh what? Why a month?" Because right now it's called statute limitation. You he dig on what you're trying to get some justice out of. But why do you think they set that up? For thieves, they know how long to stay out your sight, so you cannot catch them. That quick. And then, then they can come right into your face. You say, hey, man, you know, I'm taking you to court. And the cat said, go ahead. Why do you say go ahead? Because he know there ain't nothing you can do. You understand? Know and that has happened to me. I've been recording for 50 years, 50, uh, 49 years, uh, because I haven't done anything in about two and a half, three years. You know, and uh, I'm getting ready to do something now, but I'm going to try to control it myself. Three days I got, you know? The thieves wow. haven't made. Oh man! Yep. And he's right, that man. Just yeah, all those years, and he's still fighting in court, or was fighting in court right up until the end. A lot of these musicians, it would cost them more in legal fees and time off the road to take these cases to court, because there are a lot of thieves out there. And he's right; it's the system set up for by and to help thieves. Back then, it was like a field day. Yeah. And that, and a lot of the early artists, you know, the pioneers, they were just so naive in in business. They got taken big time, mm -hmm. big time. That's a shame. This next part I found very, very telling. You want to talk about a man with integrity? At the time, Jerry Lee Lewis had just put out an album. I think it was called Last Man Standing. And what he did was he invited a lot of special guests on: Jimmy Page, Bruce Springsteen. Mick, Ronnie, and Keith from the Stones, Ringo. And I had suggested to Bo, hey, wouldn't it be cool to do the same thing? They, you know, These guys love you. They'll all come on. That's not an issue. It certainly wouldn't hurt sales. And here's what he thought about that idea. This sounds good, but I cannot produce Ronnie Woods or Keith them on the stage with me when I'm working. People want to see what they hear. They want to see the person that, oh, you got Ronnie so-and-so on here, you got this. Uh, so they come to a show, and now you stand up there by yourself. I think they're there to see you, man, but that's... I so think you can't produce those people on the stage with you. Uh, you give a lot of hecklers that say, well, man, where's Ronnie Woods at? And, you know, so now you got to say, hey, man, I couldn't bring Well, I want my money back, you know? He's legally right. See, when you do that, you're false advertising. You, you're putting people out there that you, there ain't nowhere in hell you won't get them to travel with you because they got to go work with their groups. Right, right. Although you did come around, I think it was Lupo's, 20 years ago with Ronnie Wood. You did a little tour with him. Gunslinger tour. He was not with, with Mick Nim at that time we did that. So he made a couple of gigs with us. We was on a tour together. We worked every night together. But when then he, he had to go home, I had to fight. He wasn't here no more. You did? It would be 
nice for something that's a non-performing album. You know, in other, in other words, when you write in a note that you, it's possible you will not see these people. They were just joined to make the record for his, for both of his friends, both of his fans, because they got fans of their own, you know. So I'm not into that, uh, calling up a whole lot of people. Hey man, come get on my record. No, 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 no. I can stand on my own two feet. That's a good See, way of looking. I know, I've been there already with that same shit. You know, and I felt bad because people were saying shit, man, you know, I, I spent money to come see the show, and ain't no song here, no, Richard Sambuda, he ain't here. <laughs> you know, and they want to see these guys, but they get me to lie, <laughs> and I have to live with that shit. So it's called integrity. You got, you got a lot of integrity. Yeah. That's great, man. False, false advertisement when you say, that this record is so people go out and buy the record, they go to see you come into town. Right. They looking right right away. We're going to see so-and-so and so. We're going to see so-and-so and so. Right. So the guy said, baby, do you want to go to the show? Yep. She said, yeah, well, I'm going to take you. Because so-and-so and so is going to be there. So-and-so and so is going to be there. Get there, ain't nobody on the stage but me. Then I got to talk to these people. And two to one, you got to tell a little white lie. It's not worth it. I don't it. like lies. <laughs> The man, the man was just so full of integrity. He really, in that aspect. Because everyone does that. I mean, they yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, a lot of the major artists, they call up the, they call it duets now. Like uh, Ray yeah. Charles did one and he, he had yeah. Bono on it and all that. And that's all right. Well, geez, Errol Smith resurrected an entire career that was in the toilet by teaming up with uh, Run DMC back then and getting on oh, MTV. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's done. He didn't do it because he was going to stand, win, lose, or draw on his own self. Yeah, yes. But as a musician, I, I have to take inspiration from that. Just do what you do. And there was a lot more to this interview, and unfortunately, it's gone to history. I was lucky I found this tape. But I did get one last question, and, and going back to what he had said earlier about winding up on labels he didn't even recognize, a buddy of mine, my guitar player at the time, had an old album called Surfing with Bo when he was a kid. And you said, ask him about that, because I can't find it. It's not on CD. So I brought it up. And my guitar player asked me to ask you a question. He said, uh-huh. he said you did a surf album in 1963, and he can't find the damn thing. Oh. What was the deal with that? I don't know. They, they, uh, I never surfed. <laughs> but, but wasn't it called Surfing with Bo Diddley? So tell him, tell him Bo Diddley don't like that kind of a bathtub. That bathtub is too big. That bathtub is too big. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, we've only scratched the surface with what we could talk about regarding Bo Diddley. Look at the awards he's gotten, right? Um, amazing. It really is. I mean, his accolades, they just roll through the history of rock and roll. You know, inducted in the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987. 2003, it was the Blues Hall of Fame. And then in 2017, he was in, in the, uh, the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame. And he received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Rhythm and Blues Foundation and Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. It's funny, too, that you mentioned the Rhythm and Blues Award because I'm looking at his uh, chart for Billboard. What what was the highest chart record that he had? Well, Charted record. on the R&B charts, he hit number one with Bo Diddley, 1955. Right. Pretty Thing, that reached number four. But besides the number one, the next R&B chart and, and the highest he ever got on the U.S. pop chart, the all-important top 40 was uh, 1959, a song called Say Man. It reached number 20, reached number three in the R&B charts, and it's a novelty song. It's just a Latin rhythm with spoken word with him and his maraca player, and they're just doing uh, what they call the dozens. You know, yo, your mama's so fat. It's, a, it's making jokes back and forth. They were just fooling around in the studio, and the engineer happened to have tape rolling. and then it, <laughs> which, is, which is the best thing. To of do. course. And I think I read in an interview, Bo said that because they edited out all the dirty bits. Um, <laughs> and that becomes his highest charting song. Do we have a cut of that? Oh, we do. Hey, man. What's that, boy? I want to tell you about your girlfriend. <laughs> what about my girl? But you don't look strong enough to take the message. <laughs> I'm strong enough. I might hurt your feelings. My feelings are already hurt by being here with you. Well, uh, I was walking down the street with your girl the other day. Uh-huh. 
Hey, since you told me about my girl, I'ma tell you about yours. I was walking down the street with your girl. Yeah. I took her home for a drink, you know. Took her home? Yeah, just for a drink. Oh. But that chick looked so ugly, she had to sneak up on a glass to get a drink of water. That's all right. My mama didn't have to put a sheet over my head so sleep could slip up on me. Hey, look here. What's that? Where are you from? South America. What's that? South America. You don't look like no South America to me. I'm still from South America. What part? South Texas. <laughs> Where are your western boots at? I got them on. I already figured out what you is. What's that? You that thing I throw peanuts at. <laughs> well, look here. What's that? You should be ashamed of yourself. Why? Calling people ugly. <laughs> I didn't call you ugly. What'd you say? I said you was ruined, that's all. Oh. <laughs> hey, I ain't got nothing to do with it, but uh, I'll be the feeling right. <laughs> and with that, ladies and gentlemen, Bo Diddley has left the building. It, yes. What an honor to have talked to him, to have met him, and to have listened to his music. It's it's incredible. It's it. It really was. The whole interview that you have is just amazing. I keep using that word because I, I just was so thrilled to listen to it, listen to all that you had produced on this interview. And, uh, and here I am giving tribute to him. I've and talked to a lot you, of people, of but he was very forthcoming. And you know, just to hear somebody that you admire say the words, hey, I'm going to tell you something I've never told many people. I mean, for me, that's like dying and going to heaven, you know? It's just yeah, yes. because... Uh, for whatever reason, he trusted me, and that was cool. Um, he opened up to you. He really, I was quite amazed at the fact that how he just opened up with a lot of information that I'm sure I don't, I don't. And you won't even tell me where you live, Dave. <laughs> come on, invite me over. Sandwich, uh, coffee, something. Come on up. We're going to wrap up the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast for another episode. I want to thank Dave Tate for joining us. Thank you, David. Thank you very much for having me. And I want you all to check us out on Facebook at the It's Only Rock and Roll Podcast. Check us out online at, you guessed it, www.itsonlyrockandrollpodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes. If you don't use Apple, go on TuneIn Radio, available on Android devices. We're available wherever fine podcasts are sold. Are they sold, Dave? They're not sold. Very confused. So thank you once again for tuning in to the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast, and we'll see you next time. Say goodnight, David. Good night, David.
Hospital. 